before our reading this morning, we're back to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. And we're going to read on into the start of chapter 3. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many there who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Amen. Well, let's turn back to Mark's Gospel and uh, pray together. Father, we want to come and declare with the psalmist that your statutes are wonderful, and therefore uh, we obey them. Please would you help us to listen uh, to your wonderful word this morning, to obediently live in the light of it, we pray for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. 
When I was uh, at uh, university in uh, Aberystwyth, I went on a field trip to Ireland. Uh, we went. Uh, we were based in uh, around Dublin, and we were there for about a, a week or so. And the day before we left to come back to Wales, we had a little bit of time, so a few of us went to look around the, the National Museum of Ireland uh, there in, in Dublin. Don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, there's a, a big natural history section uh, to it, and in it there were all kinds of, of stuffed animals, uh, and they looked so lifelike that they could have just jumped out at you at any moment or, or walked off uh, out of the door. And yet, in reality, they were long dead. They were hardened. They were totally incapable of, of responding. They were devoid of, of all life. Sorry if that's not your kind of thing, uh, but maybe you've been to a museum and you, you've seen something like that, or you've seen uh, fossils similarly that you can have really well-preserved uh, human remains, dead fossils even of, of animals, and you can go and see those things in, in a museum uh, in many places. But this morning, I want us to see in the words before us that people can often be fossilized even when they are still alive. I don't mean physically, of course, but spiritually. What the Bible describes as having a hard heart. And the honest description of all of us without Jesus is that our lives are like fossils. They are devoid of life. Life as it is meant to be known. If you've been following along in our series in Mark's Gospel over the last few weeks, and as we heard it read earlier, you might have picked up that there is an ongoing pattern since we got into chapter 2. And that is one of opposition to Jesus from the Pharisees. The serious legal religious rulers of the day are these people who are described by Jesus as being fossils. They would not respond to his love and grace, no matter what he did or what he said. They were questioning Jesus, weren't they, when he healed and forgave a paralyzed man. How could he say that he could forgive sins? They were questioning him when they ate with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house. And then last week, again, the Pharisees are present. They were fasting, but Jesus and his disciples weren't. And that was causing quite the stir. And specifically last week, we saw that the new message that Jesus brings, that he was incompatible with the old ways of doing things. The message he came proclaiming, which he himself embodied, was one of grace of the completely undeserved kindness of God available to us in following him, not in what we do. His coming has changed everything, and this morning we see that revealed to us again. As we conclude chapter 2 and enter chapter 3, we find two more occasions where the Pharisees are opposing the Lord Jesus and his ministry. Their hearts are hardened towards him, and they're trying to catch him out. They're trying to score some points on him in two separate accounts about Jesus and the Sabbath. And what these two examples that Mark records of the Pharisees trying to pick apart what Jesus is doing, it's showing us that Jesus really is Lord. That's who he is. Jesus is Lord. And of course, that's the big overarching headline in many ways as you read through the Gospels. But these verses especially show us that. And so this morning, I want to, uh, to see how that is so in, in two ways. And the first is found in verses 23 to 28 of chapter 2. And this shows us that Jesus brings blessing, not burden. Jesus brings blessing, 
and not burden. Mark is setting the scene for us. He's telling us that Jesus and his disciples are are out walking uh, through some cornfields. And as they are doing that, we're told that they pick some years of corn. They were probably feeling hungry, so they pick some uh, corn and they eat it, which is a big red flag to these onlooking Pharisees. They're desperately, remember, trying to get one up on Jesus. And so immediately they go to him and say, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Their big concern is that the disciples are breaking the rules. Now, you might be wondering, well, what's the big deal? What is their concern here all about? Well, the Sabbath in those days was a Saturday. It was declared by the law of God to be a day off. It was a day of rest, a day on which everyone, including animals, even didn't work. And we're told in the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20 that we're thinking about with the children that the people of God, they're not to work, but they are to rest because God himself rested on the seventh day of creation. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments which is rooted in in the order of creation and it confirms the, the divine order of the universe. And so it is something to follow. It is something to take seriously because God commands it. But as we saw last week, the problem with the Pharisees was that they distorted the whole purpose of the law. They had failed to realize that it can't be kept perfectly. And yet they added in a a whole raft of extra regulations, over 600 extra rules to keep on top of God's law that you had to keep. And in the case of the Sabbath, apparently, they divided work into 39 different categories just so that everyone could be really sure what it is you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. It's crazy. And here in our passage, the the Pharisees spot, the disciples, they're working as far as they're concerned. They're reaping the fields, and this simply will not do in their book. So they take the opportunity to attack Jesus, because as far as they see it, the disciples are all too happily breaking the rules, and that's not reflecting well on their leader, Jesus. That's what's going on here. That's why they approach Jesus and question him. And they think, we've got him. We've got him this time. But Jesus answers with a question. And that's always a great approach to take. When anybody asks you a question about your faith or when you're challenged about what you believe, well, ask them back. Well, what do you mean by that? What makes you say that? It's a great model that Jesus sets us in the Gospels. Always ask a question and get under the bonnet of what's really being asked. And so Jesus asks them this. Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? That's the question. And in case you've not read that, Jesus tells us briefly what happens. In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. You can find that account in 1 Samuel Uh, 21 verses 1 to 6 if you're interested what's Jesus doing he's basing his response on the scriptures on the historical moment around the time in that part of the scriptures when Abiathar was the high priest if you read that for yourself you'd see there that David's on the run from Saul and he goes to the priest and he persuades one of them to give him and those with him some some special bread that's there on, on the altar of the Lord and only the priests are supposed to eat that And the point Jesus Jesus is making is that David, he goes on to become a a great king. 
And he was seen as one of the big heroes of the past by the Pharisees. And nobody was condemning him, even though what he did in searching for food there in the tabernacle out of his desperate hunger, that would have been considered much worse than what these disciples had done. But so what, you might be thinking? Well, the point being made here is this. Meeting human need is more important than keeping every letter of the law. And not for the first time, the Pharisees are blind to that. They are hardened in their hearts to that biblical principle. What's going on here is that Jesus isn't using this illustration of David when he broke the law of God. He's not using it as an excuse for his disciples to do so. But he's using what David did as a precedent. It's a precedent. Jesus is inviting a comparison between him and the Messiah King prototype in David, the first of many references to David in Mark's gospel, that's defining who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, that was the precedent. And I am fulfilling it. I am outworking it. And so from this historical account of David, the Lord Jesus makes his point plain as he states the biblical principle in verses 27 and 28. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, humanity was not made for Sabbath rules. Rather, it was given to bless humanity, to improve our well-being. We have to understand that the Pharisees had made the Sabbath an unbearable burden on people. All their extra rules with those 39 categories for work had made the Sabbath something that wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't a blessing. But as we've been thinking about with the children this morning, God's commands are a loving gift to us. It is for our good. And they are important to keep. This was the world's first law on workers' rights. God gave us the Sabbath because he knows that we need rest as human beings. And he also knows that it's far too easy for other human beings to exploit each other. And so we need this. And we can't count how many millions of people have been protected by this command. And God knows that we work best in a seven-day rhythm of six days to work and a seventh to rest. And so it needs to be said here that we all need one day a week that is set apart and different. And for most of us, that is Sunday. But for those of us whose work doesn't permit that, then it should be another day. But the bottom line is that we should re reject the idea that every day is the same. Because that's not how God made us. God's gift of the Sabbath proves that. And that is what Jesus is saying here. The Sabbath was given to us as a gift. To meet our needs. To, to bring us blessing. Not to restrict our lives. Or to turn us into rule-keeping robots. But the Pharisees had made the Sabbath into something that it wasn't. They didn't see it as a gift. They wanted to define it with all kinds of rules that almost went beyond common sense. And what have they done? They've forgotten that it's a sign of God's grace, of his undeserved kindness to us. And they've turned something that is a benefit into a burden. Just like we saw last week with their fasting. Something that was good and was helpful. And about desiring the Lord and trusting in him it had become negative religious legalism. I read this week of this whole scenario being like the Pharisees being 
a committee of a golf club. I don't know whether you play golf or you watch golf or you've ever had a go at swinging a golf club over there at the driving range in Gowerton. But even if not, you might at least know that a golf club, you need a fairway on it to, on which to play. That's where you've got to hit the ball. You, you strike the ball off the tee and you want it to land on the fairway, on, on the good bit of grass in front of you. And this imaginary golf club, it, it has a beautiful course and the fairways are pristinely kept. They are kept so tidy. But why does it look so good? Because in order to preserve the course from being cut up as uh, the, the club hits the ball and you have all those divots in the ground, the Pharisees of the golf club committee insist that the golfers play all their shots from the rough grass on the side. And even though golf courses, like Sabbaths, are meant to be enjoyed, they're not meant to be preserved like a museum, that, that's what's going on here. The, the Pharisees were turning the Sabbath, a day of rest, a gift of God, something that was a blessing, and they've turned it into a burden. They're restricting people unbiblically. But so, so what? what? What right has Jesus got here to be saying these things? How can he make these bold claims that really challenges the pervading culture? Or we find the answer in verse 28. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Who's the Lord of the Sabbath? Who is Lord of this whole conversation? Who is the one who is over this whole topic and every topic? The Son of Man is. Jesus is. Man, we are not Lord of the Sabbath, but the Son of Man is. Jesus is. He and he alone has the right to say what is or isn't lawful. On the Sabbath, not these Pharisees and their endless rules. Jesus has the authority, even over applying one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the true Lord of the Sabbath. And in him saying this, he's telling the Pharisees that he is the one with all authority. Not them. It was God who even created the Sabbath in the first place for humanity. And now Jesus says that he is supreme over it. And in so doing, he's saying he is in the place of God. Indeed, he is God himself. And so what makes verse 27 true is because of the authority of verse 28. The Sabbath was made for humanity, not the other way around. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This helps us to understand that the good and the righteous purposes of God in his law, they can only be truly recovered and fulfilled in relation to Jesus, who is its Lord. He's Lord over all. And similar to last week on the subject of fasting, you might be wondering, well, what is all the relevance of this to us today in 21st century Wales? I don't hear many debates about picking corn on Sundays. I don't know about you. And that might be true, but there is an important lesson for us here. And in it, we must not lose sight of who is to be at the center of all that we do and all that we say. Jesus Christ, for he is Lord. As you read on through the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, we see Jesus abolish the Jewish Saturday as the weekly day of rest. Saturday was the last day of the week and it represented the finale of the created order. And now as New Testament believers, we celebrate on the first day of the week, Sunday. We've sung of it this morning. 
We've heard it read from Luke 24. That is the day that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead in all power and authority. And in us gathering together on the first day of the week, we mark every Sunday the beginning of the everlasting kingdom of Jesus that he has brought in his coming and which will be fully and finally fulfilled in the new creation. That's why we're here today. But in light of that, you and I need to be careful that we don't treat the Sabbath, a Sunday, a day of rest, like the Pharisees did. We need to be careful that we don't slip into our own brand of legalism by putting rules on a Sunday that simply aren't found in Scripture. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are to keep the Sabbath. It is a command of God. And here, Jesus, he doesn't do away with the Sabbath. The principle still remains. But unlike the rule-keeping attitude of the Pharisees, we must see Sundays in a Jesus-centered way because he's Lord. He's Lord of the Sabbath. Sunday is to be a different day. And what that means for you and your family specifically will vary because we all have a different version of different, don't we? But based on what, our, what we are seeing in the scriptures, what our other six days are, are like will dictate what today is. But I hope in light of all of that, however you want to see it, what I want to get across to you is this, is that the Christian faith isn't here to give you a long list of rules about how you treat today, like the Pharisees did. But though Sunday is to be a different day, what we certainly can say is that it is the first day of the week, it is a day when we gather together to worship our God as we are able, and we are to take every opportunity to come together and to worship him. It is in that sense, the Lord's day, even though we know that every day belongs to him. And so we must not forget the exhortation in Hebrews 10, verse 25, to consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are here to, to worship our God and to spur one another on, encouraging each other in our faith. Don't give up doing that. And remember that this is a gift to us. Sundays are a blessing for millions who benefit from it on a weekly basis. It's not a burden. I trust that you find it to be a blessing as we meet together as Christians. People who have been made alive in Jesus Christ, given the gracious gift of faith in and through him. Trust that you find it a blessing and not a burden to prioritize meeting, to listen to God's word, to encourage one another on in your walk with the Lord, to praise our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't come to church to keep a rule. We're not here to tick a box. We're not here to get in and get out as quickly as we can and say, oh, I've done church for another week. We don't have Sundays to burden us down. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And I hope, believe that you don't see something as Sunday that restricts you from doing other things, but that you come to church and you enjoy Sundays because they are a gracious gift given to us by our God that we might delight in him for who he is, that we might gather together to worship our Savior because he is our Lord. He's Lord of today. He's Lord of the Sabbath. Today is all about him. It's all about Jesus, our Lord. He is Lord of this day and every day. And he is the one who we love and trust and follow and desire above everything else, isn't he? And so I suppose the bottom line is this. Don't get your priorities confused like the Pharisees did. Jesus came to bless us, not to burden us, because he's Lord. 
Sundays aren't a burden. They are a blessing. They are a gift to all of us for our good. As each week we take a day to step back and to rest in a different way to the other six days of the week. And we enjoy it because he's given it to us. I wonder, Christian, is that how you see Sundays? Is that how you see today as a day of rest? Not something that you keep out of tradition, not something that you do because you're trying to look decent towards others or even trying to impress God somehow, but something that's been given to you as a gift to enjoy. This day is a blessing. It really is. It's God's design that it might be different, that you might be refreshed and encouraged and helped in the presence of his people and in worshipping him, that he might have the praise alone that he deserves. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He came to bring blessing, not burden. And we've seen something of the authority of Jesus over this whole subject as the Pharisees have challenged him because he's God. But now, as we enter into the first six verses of chapter three, we continue on in this theme of the Sabbath. And the principles that we've begun to see unfold, they're now developed, they're illustrated for us by Mark as he records Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And so now secondly, I want us to see that Jesus does good not evil. Jesus is Lord, and because of that, he does good always, and not evil. That's what these six verses are showing us, as Jesus went into a synagogue and finds a man there with a shriveled hand. Mark also tells us in verse 2 that there were some there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. They're looking for some legal evidence against what Jesus is doing. The ridiculous rules of the Pharisees said that life-saving first aid was allowed. But curing a non-threatening disease, that's got to wait till tomorrow. It's craziness. And so here, because a withered hand wasn't seen as life-threatening, if Jesus heals this man, then for the Pharisees, that would mean Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. So will Jesus do it? Will he, the Lord of the Sabbath, Heal this man on a Sabbath day. Well, firstly, Jesus tells the man to stand up in front of everyone. This is all in view of the crowd there that day, including his opponents. And before he does anything else, he asks a question. Verse 4. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Here Jesus asks a question that gets at the hard hearts of the Pharisees. He makes the clear point that we've already seen that God has given man the Sabbath for his blessing. And as far as this man with the shriveled hand is concerned, what greater physical blessing could there be this day than for his hand to be healed? The human need before Jesus is so obvious and where good needs to be done, there's no neutrality. Failing to do good contributes to evil. So what will Jesus do? He heals him. And that isn't only allowed, it's right. It's right. Why, says Jesus, should the Sabbath of all days in the week be the only day when he's not allowed to bring blessing to this man? It's an absolutely ridiculous way of thinking. But that is how the fossilized Pharisees lived. And so see how they respond to Jesus' question in verse 4. But they remain silent. They can't answer the question. And that shows us that for them, keeping religion is all about keeping rules. 
That's what it's about. Fulfilling those 600 plus lists of laws that they lived by. Their religion is dead. It is cold. It is not concerned with human need. It's not about doing good to others. It is not about the intent of the heart. But it is about theological correctness and measuring up to legal requirements. That's all. It's desperately sad that they've got it so, so wrong. Now, Jesus doing good doesn't go against the Old Testament law of God, found in the first five books of the Bible. But what he is doing does break the tradition of the Pharisees. This shows us that tradition totally misses the point of God's law. God's law is all about loving him and loving your neighbour as yourself. We must not forget that. The Christian life is about that, not about tradition, as grateful as we are for it, and all that's gone before us. But the Christian life is first and foremost about loving God and loving our neighbour. We follow Jesus, who always did good. And so how does Jesus respond to their silence? He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. For the first time, you'd think in quite a long time, this man is able uh, to straighten his hand again. Jesus heals this man with a word. Here is Jesus, the Lord, who came to do good. And he restores this man to a physical health. He's been publicly set free from a condition that must have really hindered, even devastated his life in the middle of the synagogue there that day. It's a wonderful day, isn't it? But to the disgust of the Pharisees, it's happened on a Sabbath. And that's all that matters to them. And that is why Jesus is angry and distressed. Mark passionately describes the depth of feeling here. And it's so strong. We don't find these exact words anywhere else in Mark's gospel. Their silence deeply affects the Lord Jesus. He's angry. He's filled with grief. Because their response shows how hard their hearts are. He was angry and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. It's worth briefly saying that this is a model, it's a help to us in how we respond to unbelief of those who oppose the gospel. When our friends and our family reject what we tell them about the Lord Jesus again and again and again. How do you feel? How do you respond? We live in a world, don't we, where we are told that if something works for you, well that's fine. But leave me be because I'm not interested. We're told don't push our ideas on others. And we've got to be gentle. We've got to be gracious. But we've also got to put forward the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the words of one writer, when Jesus meets such hardness, he responds with both anger and grief. Anger that people can be so hard, so indifferent to God's grace, so close to his love. And deep distress at what this hardness is going to do to them. Do we feel pain that so many are rejecting our saviour? Or have we believers become a little hard-hearted ourselves so that nothing really upsets us anymore? That's a convicting quote for us to consider, isn't it? Do we respond to the stubborn hearts of those who are not yet trusting in Jesus as he does? Don't rush past that thought believer this morning as we apply the word of God to ourselves but that said I don't want us to miss the profound thing that's going on here as we've already thought the law about the Sabbath it is a gift from God something to enjoy something that gives us joy but it can't heal us 
they can't restore this man to the joyful condition that he's been made for. No Pharisee, no rule, no tradition could do that. But Jesus could. And Jesus the Lord has come to do good. Only Jesus the Lord could help this man to really enjoy true blessing. The blessing of that Sabbath day. And he does come. He does come to enjoy such blessing. As he obeys the command of Jesus and stretches out his hand. There he is before the synagogue. And he takes the risk of faith. He acts on the command of Jesus. And in so doing, he's healed right before them all. And isn't that what faith is? The word faith isn't used here. But here we see the faith of this man taking public risk of of believing Jesus to be worthy of his trust. When there's no other hope in all the world, including that of the Pharisees. It's Jesus. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of all our hope. Only Jesus can give us the grace to respond to him in repentance and in faith, to to live an obedient life to his commands. It's his grace that we need, not legalistic rule-keeping. And so what we're seeing here is Jesus do what the Pharisees were powerless to do. And it is why they respond in the way that they do. Our passage ends with the Pharisees plotting with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. These so-called rule-keepers are so appalled at what Jesus has done in breaking their Sabbath rules that they start thinking about how to get rid of him. It's quite ironic, isn't it? That they aren't happy with Jesus doing good on the Sabbath, all the while they're plotting to do evil in killing him on the Sabbath. Their hypocrisy is incredible. They plot with their allies, supporters of Herod. They weren't exactly agreed on everything as uh, as, uh, allies, but... What united them was their opposition to Jesus. And that was enough for them to want to work together to seek to kill him. And that links us back to the second half of the question, which we didn't consider earlier, in verse 4. Jesus asks, is it lawful to save or to kill? It's very clever from Jesus there because he's framing this whole situation with the man with the withered hand with a response to the onlookers to him that day. A healing today was an evil to them, not a good thing. And so a killing is what is starting to form there in their minds. Neither the Pharisees or Herod's supporters, they don't care about this identity of Jesus. All they care about is their religion. It's being challenged. It's being toppled by Jesus. The one who we've seen in the last chapters, he forgives sins, he eats with sinners, he corrects their view on fasting, he is realigning here the the focus on the Sabbath, uh, and he's healing on it as well. He's done all these things because he has the authority to do those things, because Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is this claim and ongoing opposition uh, to it that will be replayed in different ways throughout uh, Mark's gospel. As he continues on his ministry in the shadow of the cross, knowing, as we thought last week, the bridegroom will be taken from them. That the plot on his life here that begins will will grow and it will lead to his death in the place of stubborn-hearted sinners like you and like me. And what we're seeing this morning, friends, is that what matters most is not rule-keeping, but faith in Jesus Believing in him as the Lord of all, the one who brings blessing, the one who does good. He has supreme authority and he's come to bring a new age. He's not come to conform to the religious traditions and practices of the past. 
the radical message of grace that he preached and embodied by him, it's provocative. And it clashes with all other worldly religion then and now. And that means that what matters most of all of us this morning is as we've thought about uh, this topic of the Sabbath is not how many rules are you keeping, but is your faith in this Jesus the Lord? You can't ever do enough to impress God. You can't keep all the rules. And they can't even save you anyway. But Jesus can. He is Lord, and he has come to bring you blessing and to do you good as you listen to him and as you trust in him and put your faith in him as this man at the synagogue did. I mentioned at the beginning about those, those stuffed animals in Dublin or those fossils, and there's a warning to us here this morning for you who are still spiritually fossilized, you who aren't trusting in Jesus. It doesn't matter what you look like or how long you've been coming to church, this church or another church. It might have been all your life. You, you might regularly meet with Christians and you might, like, you might seem outwardly like you are a genuine believer. But a day is coming when you stand before Jesus Christ and the genuineness or the deadness, the dead stubbornness of your heart will be exposed. Now that is the reality for all of us, friends. Revelation 20 verses 11 to 15 tell us that we will all stand before the throne of God and all who have ever lived will be judged and 2,000 years or so ago Jesus looked around the synagogue on that Sabbath day and he saw people with stubborn hardened hearts there he was Jesus God in the flesh and yet they rejected him and he was angry he was deeply distressed I wonder friend how will the Lord Jesus look at you on that day that great day how will he look at you friend don't remain in your stubbornness any longer because the good news for all of us this morning is that Jesus can even bring a fossil to life basically those things you see in the museums I was quite glad in Dublin that the hippos and the zebras didn't come to life but the good news for us this morning is that Jesus can bring a fossil to life. He can give a heartbeat to a stone-dead heart. Now, and so will you stretch out your hand in faith this morning? Will you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the one who is Lord over every single person, over every single thing in this whole universe? Please stop trying to prove yourself to God with your rule-keeping, but trust your life to Jesus, who is Lord. He has come to bring you blessing and to do you good by his grace. And so will you commit yourself to him this morning? As we pray uh, together now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us this morning the authority of the Lord Jesus, that he truly is Lord of all. He's Lord of this day and he's come to bless us, to make your grace known to us, not to burden us down. He's come to do helpless sinners like us good. And so we pray you would keep us from hardening our hearts. Soften us today, we ask. Help all of us to respond to you in faith that we might no longer be dead in our sins, but be alive in Christ. So we pray in his name. Amen.